food, baby. We in here, yeah, we in here. Been... Y'all better get comfortable with saying black. We in here, yeah, we in here. Black versus the Board of Education. Yeah. We, been here, we in here, yeah, we in here. That's why we are indeed a whole mood. That's it. I don't know about that little weak <laughs> air horn, but we are back for another Monday. It is Black versus the Board of Education. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Miss Laureen, and I welcome you into this space. We are inside of our civic engagement um, kind of series, right? We're talking to a lot of people who are running um, for your votes. Um, my understanding are the ballots have already been sent out. Some people have already made their choices, but if you're still on the fence, um, you got some listening to do because these next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting people in front of you who are running to represent you. And it's important um, that you pay attention. You ask what you want to know and that we're engaged in the process. Uh, it looks like the gang's all here. Adrian's here. Miss Quinessa's here. Miss Keela is here. Miss Melissa is, is here. And also Miss Anaya, if you can pull my girls up. Fantastic. And we're going to get started because we have a two for one. So this is our first guest. And in the next half hour, we are going to be joined by a second guest. So we're going to get it started pretty quickly here. Uh, Miss Melissa, we are going to start with you. You can say hello to our guests and we are we can get ready to go ahead and, and put the questions out there. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa. I am a senior in high school in Southern California, and I am very excited about today's episode. What funny. Go ahead and give your first question, love. My first question is, what inspired you to run? I kind of want to know like who you are, um, your backstory, all of that. And before you answer, I want you to introduce yourself formally and then tackle the question, okay? Okay, sure. I'm Mary Russell. I've lived here in Sacramento for five years. I've been in my neighborhood for three. Um, my husband and I moved here uh, right before everything, <laughs> right before COVID, right uh -huh. before, yeah. So uh, we spent all of COVID downtown, uh, two blocks from the Capitol, okay. and um, in a little apartment with nothing to do. So um, we got a, an introduction to Sacramento. I think that was pretty unique. Okay. So um, after COVID and um, when all of the bidding on houses, you know, was out of control and, you know, everything was way too expensive, we finally found a house. We moved to the Wood Lake neighborhood, uh, which is uh, quite an historic neighborhood here in Sacramento. And um, what inspired me to run was all politics are local. So in our neighborhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> and all politics are personal. So um, in our neighborhood, we had some trouble. There was some um, development going on that none of the neighbors, you know, wanted. Um, but I'm familiar with NIMBY, so <laughs> I was a little skeptical. But there is some stuff going on that is um, not great for our neighborhood and for surrounding neighborhoods. So then I looked at it. First, it was, you know, just my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture really is that District 2 is a newly... Um, a newly drawn district and mm -hmm. it's a, an extremely diverse district. So it's not just black and white, it's uh, Hispanic and Asian and Indian. We have a multicultural district. Okay. Um, and I didn't think that the people 
that um, certainly not the person from my neighborhood. I didn't think that they were representing me and my thoughts on what mm. District 2 ought to be going forward. Okay. So. And so you've had the last, well, when you were here, I'm assuming it was just the previous candidate who just resigned was your um, representative, correct? Or was there someone right before him? Yeah, uh, the lowly guy, he mm -hmm. was, um, I think he was newly elected when mm -hmm. he bought the house. And there's a lot, you know, a lot of moving parts when you first move in a neighborhood and you see what's going on and you try and, you know, figure out, you know, what your place is there or whatever. Um, we did meet him once. He came out to our neighborhood once and then mm. none of his trouble was even on my radar. I just knew that he wasn't doing anything for us. You know, I didn't know what his backstory was or what mm -hmm. was going on with him. And I, so when you say Woodlake, I just want to be clear because I'm not familiar with District 2 at all. So whereabouts is your neighborhood within Sacramento? So uh, uh, Del Paso Boulevard. Okay. And it it's like we're literally separated like most neighborhoods historically mm -hmm. are. Uh, we are a, a largely white neighborhood separated by Del Paso. And there's a largely a black neighborhood and Hispanic neighborhood on the other side of the street. Oh, uh, okay. So... I just feel like the person who's running from my neighborhood, he's been here 40 years. His claim to fame is he's a legislator. He's done all these things. He's made all these policies. Mm -hmm. My question then is, why are things the way they are then? If you did such a knockout job already. Well, so <laughs> I like you. <laughs> we gonna get we gonna get along just fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and you're right, right? And and you're yeah. talking about um uh What's his name? Roger Dickinson. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Adrian. Hello. Hi, Adrian. Um, so I just wondering, what are some of the changes you want to make as a district representative? So the biggest change I want to make and in, in the first thing that I want to get started is a uh, stormwater fee. So across district two, um, some neighborhoods are planned. Some neighborhoods are not planned. We have everything from, high density, high rise apartments to uh, ranches mm. with horses, you know, up on the northern part of our district. So, um, like I said, it's very diverse. Everything is um, very diverse. So one thing that I have a big problem with is um, regressive tax measures. So when you talk about measure you, you talk about sales taxes or gas taxes. Those are great revenue generators, but they're regressive, which means that people on the lower end of the economic spectrum spend a higher percentage of their budget on these taxes. Mm. So if you implement like Measure U, and I don't have a problem with necessarily volunteering to pay more sales tax over time, but it seems like just as a sort of... Um, it just seems to be catching on that, oh, we'll just pass another penny sales tax. We'll pass another penny sales tax. But what you're really doing is making the poorest people in the community give more to even poorer people in the community. Mm. You're not really, you know, um, you're not accomplishing what needs to happen. So let's say with a gas tax, you can say, well, if I don't drive, if I take the bus, if I do these things, then I am exempt from that tax. And you can, in a way, control your budget if you have a great, you know, public transportation system. Mm -hmm. But what I would like to see is a stormwater fee implemented so that we can put in the infrastructure. Um, what I saw on the weekend just driving around um, after the storms 
was a lot of standing water. And so standing water is a big issue because it breeds mosquitoes. Um, mm -hmm. Black flies also love it. So if you're, if you have standing water in your community, you're literally breeding disease in your community. Okay. And if you think about, um, we have ranches, we have goats, we have cows, we have horses, we have all of those things. Mm -hmm. And all of those things carry pathogens that are then spread by mosquitoes. So if you have a bunch of standing water and open ditches in your neighborhood, that's mm -hmm. very, very unhealthy for the whole community. Gotcha. So I think that's the that's the biggest thing. But that's a long-term goal, the stormwater fee. Mm -hmm. What I really want to have happen right away from day one is get a handle on the budget. And without skipping ahead to your questions, I would say in the first 30 days, my biggest responsibility would be to understand how the budget um moves through the system here in Sacramento. I mean, I've been in other places and watched, you know, how budgets work. I have mm -hmm. an MBA, so I get how money works. Um, but specifically, how do they get the budget approved here in Sacramento? And then within a year, I would like to have some uh, key performance indicators in place for those budget items. So not just saying last year, we gave you this much money this year, we'll give you 3% more, but say, Last year, we gave you money to do this. Tell me how that worked out for you. What have you done to reach those goals? And those are the key performance indicators. So either you're going to meet those goals or you're not going to meet those goals. And then we're going to talk about whether or not you need more money Ooh. next time. Yeah. Uh, Anaya. <laughs> okay. Hello. My name is Anaya. I'm currently a freshman attending Howard University. And my question is, if you've ever held a position similar to this one, what was it? And if you could describe it. Yeah, I have. So um, I was a, a public school teacher. That was uh, my career. And um, I was a teacher in Florida during the Jeb Bush administration. And when we talked about grade in schools and accountability and education, it was probably the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I spent 20 years in the Navy Reserve. So um Working under Jeb Bush was uh, pretty awful, so I ran for school board. <laughs> so in my fifth year of classroom teaching, I ran for the school board, and uh, the school district I was elected to is the 22nd largest district in the whole United States. The only two California school districts that are bigger than mine was at the time are Los Angeles and San Diego. So um, it was the sixth largest school district in Florida, only behind like Miami-Dade, Jacksonville, Duval. So, um, yeah, our budget was about $1.3 billion when we started, and it was in declining budget years because of the Jeb Bush administration, and it was a tough time to be a school board member because we had to make a lot of tough decisions, and here in Sacramento, we're facing the same exact thing. We'll have two declining budget years, first, because we're losing um, sales tax. Uh, because we no longer have our stimulus funds and we're not drumming up sales tax in our community. And then next, because there's a huge income fall off in California, we're missing, you know, big budget Hollywood productions that just got axed because of COVID. We're missing uh, mergers and acquisitions in Silicon Valley. So there's a lot of money that just was not generated. And then we have 750,000 fewer people in California now. So every county and every city in Sacramento is going to face budget cuts because of those reasons. So not only do we have a lot of work to do, we're going to have to do it in the face of a declining budget. Miss mm. Keela. Hi, so I'm Keela. Um, so not to speak negative or anything, but um, say if you don't 
when, what are, what are your, what is your next step? Like, how are you going to move forward from here? So I would say, I would say if I, if I don't win, then I go back to doing things for myself. I mean, I'm a bootstrapper. I'm, I believe in solving your own problems and doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm willing to go to work for our community and bring us together and do good things. And if that doesn't happen, I'm, I just raised my hand and said, I'd like to have the job. I'll do the job if you'll have me. Mm-hmm. If they won't have me, and I just go back home and I count my own money and do my own thing. Miss <laughs> 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 Quinessa. Okay. Hi, I'm Quinessa. Um, so you, I feel like you're really different from the other um, candidates. Um you don't have like a campaign site. Um, so what, in your opinion, makes you stand out from the other candidates? Yeah. So I literally decided on the last day <laughs> and, I, go. and I called the city and I asked her, I said, well, how long does it take to fill out this paperwork? And she said, it took a long time. I said, well, how long would it take you? She said, it would take me about eight hours to fill out the paperwork. And I said, well, if you can do it in eight, I can do it in six. I'll see you in a little while. Okay. <laughs> so, She's feisty. <laughs> so I went around the neighborhood. I uh, collected the petitions. That's different from Florida. You don't have to have people sign and say, okay, you know, I live mm-hmm. in her neighborhood and she seems okay. I'll sign the petition. Um, since then, my um, that guy that you guys talked about, he has gone to every single person who signed my petition and asked them to put a campaign sign in the yard. So it's getting a little ugly over there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I think what makes me different is I'm willing to be open and honest. I don't really, I don't have anything to lose. I don't get caught up in ego or I don't get caught up in this. I have to be an upstanding member of my community, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of thing Mm -hmm. that I just try and get at what's real and what's right. And in district two, we have a lot of getting real to do and we need to just do what's right for everybody in the community, not for this neighborhood or that neighborhood, or we just all need to come together. I mean, we have so much more in common Mm -hmm. is different and we have so much work to do that we could just gather the things we all agree on and do that. And we'd get a long way. Yeah. And, and I, I understand that. And I understand the, the desire to want to come together. But the truth of the matter is over in that particular district, there has not been an equitable distribution of funding. And so some neighborhoods have and others do not. Agreed. hundred percent. And so how do you um, go in and you advocate for maybe those neighborhoods you don't live in? How can they count on you to be a representative that they can, you know, put their, their votes behind? So I think the number one most important thing we can do is make a healthier community. So in my community, in my neighborhood, we have curbs. We have uh, places for the water to run off. It's not great, mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And the the field in back of my house used to be a stormwater retention area, and now they're going to build an apartment in there. So I have a big problem with that. I don't, yeah. I don't see any plans where they're going to have water runoff, or I don't know where that's going. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. But in in many of the neighborhoods, there's not even curbs. There's no open ditches are the cheapest, um, worst way <laughs> to, to guide stormwater where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So I think if we, if we work on passing this stormwater fee in Pinellas County, when we did it, I worked for the stormwater department there. 
instead of being a tax, it was a fee. That meant that every church, every nonprofit, every everybody was paying this fee. It wasn't, we're going to wipe out all of these people from paying a fee. The way that it was implemented was based on, you know, your roof size and your impervious material on your property. So if you had a huge driveway that counted as impervious material, there's nowhere for the water to go. Mm. So bigger houses paid bigger fees, uh, gas stations on corners with no place for it to run off. But with all of that gas and oil that was getting into our environment, they paid higher fees than everybody else. So if we got this ball rolling, that would uh, put a lot of money towards um, towards making communities healthier. Mm -hmm. As far as the regular budget and where that money's going, I 100% agree. There's been no investment in most of District 2. Right. And in my neighborhood, what I heard, and I'm probably not going to be the best neighbor in that neighborhood anymore, but in my neighborhood, what I heard was, we don't want to be... Um, locked in with them yeah and I thought why mm -hmm. you don't you think that if you cross that street and there's not a healthy neighborhood there you think you're still healthy you're just not we're all connected mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what street you have to cross and I think the most maybe the, the most beautiful way we can start to think about Sacramento is as a watershed and if everything that runs off of my roof affects everybody else in the community and the rivers, mm -hmm. then maybe we can start thinking as a whole instead of thinking as, you know, what I need to get here in my neighborhood. But I do hear that some neighborhoods have had more than other neighborhoods. So it's not like I think, okay, well, we just start off today and we divide this pie mm -hmm. and this is how we do it. I mean, I, I personally feel like you cannot neglect, like as a homeowner, as a property owner, as someone who makes investments in real estate, the number one thing you need to do is take care of that so that your investment doesn't go down the drain. So if you don't invest in yourself or your neighborhood or your house, then you're making a huge mistake. And in this case, individuals didn't get to make that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, community leaders made that decision for them. So, I mean, I do, I do get, I don't think that uh, equal is even, I don't think that, you know, we get the same and that's all of a sudden we're on the same, you know, racetrack. That's, mm -hmm. you know, I don't look at it that way, but I think the biggest thing that we could do is implement this stormwater fee. And then we can look at the budget and we can make some investments moving forward. Gotcha. Um, and if you're just joining us, we are talking with candidate Mary Russell. She is a district two candidate um, running for that seat um, there. And this episode is called two for one, but I just heard that Mr. McCarty just pulled out, so he won't be joining us. So we have you for the whole hour. So welcome. Um, <laughs> with that, Melissa, I'm coming right back to you. Um, so I want to know how has your upbringing influenced the issues that you believe are important? Because one thing that really stood out to me was the way that you described standing water and how the diseases can influence and impact different communities. Not everyone thinks like that. So I want to know like your backstory um, and kind of how has your upbringing influenced those issues that you find important? So, um, so I'm the youngest of four kids. Uh, my uh, dad was a disabled veteran, but not disabled as a veteran. I mm -hmm. don't know if that makes sense. Um, but he served his country and then uh, later became disabled. Um, my mom was um, 
the person who worked full time in our house. And, you know, my dad got disability, but that's not enough to do much with it all. Um, so my mom was a civil servant. She worked for social services and I was the youngest of four. Um, we moved from Oklahoma City to Florida when I was about two years old. And from two years to, I'd say, maybe four and a half, I don't know, two to four, something like that, we experienced housing instability, I guess is what we call it now. So uh, we just moved from place to place and maybe uh, didn't pay the rent at the last place, so the next place was harder to get a new place. And my parents used to tell this story that um, when uh, I guess my mom had laid down the law and she said, these kids need a house. We need to find them a place to live. And um, there's a lot of bickering, as I understand it. <laughs> and they met this landlord and this landlord showed them this house. And then um, my mom came back to look at it again and brought me with her. And as the story goes, the landlord rented the house to me and said, she can live here until she graduates from high school. Oh. And I need you to pay the rent until she graduates from high school. So that's exactly what happened. So I don't know why somebody just looked at me and said, she's kind of cute and she's funny. So, <laughs> you know, if you can pay the rent, she can stay here until she graduates. And that's exactly what happened. And um, I started school when I was four. I graduated when I was 17. And I don't know how this landlord knew that, but he came knocking on the door right about the time it was time for me to graduate and uh, told my parents, you can either buy the house or move. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they bought the house. I never saw this man, never saw him my whole life. But, but, you know, hearing this story, my whole life was, you know, you're the reason we have a place to live. How is that's a big thing for a kid you mm. know, to know. But all I knew is when I grew up, the first thing I was going to do was buy a house. Mm. And even though my husband didn't think we could buy a house, my parents didn't think we, nobody we knew. They were like, you're crazy. You're going to buy a house. I figured out how to buy a house. Mm. And that was the one most important decision I was able to do. Um, and now, you know, I talk to my kids who are about 30 years old and they don't think they can buy a house. Mm. So I, I don't, it, there's a big disconnect there for me. But I need to learn more about why they don't think they can buy a house and why they feel they're hopeless as far as that goes. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I know y'all not 30 year, year old, y'all not 30 yet. But why do you think young people feel they cannot buy houses right now? Well, for myself and um, my husband, it just it does not seem like a possibility at all. Why? Because we the the idea of coming up with a down payment and the amount that you would need for a down payment doesn't seem attainable. Mm. And we're talking to some, you're a college graduate, yes? Yes. Okay. And you say it's unattainable. Yes. W what do you think? Um. Yeah, I mean, I could agree. It's just, I think overall, I, I haven't graduated college yet, so I need to make this money, right? And it's like, I'm 24 years old and it's like, I have to keep building still until I could get to that point. So it's like, you have to keep working way too hard to like barely even live right now. I live in Arden area and I'm like struggling. So it's just knowing that also, it's just, I don't see how I can even think about doing that unless I've already had savings from before or like I'm picking up other things and just doing everything on the side. So. Sir. 
Yeah, and I think for me, it's kind of a mix between both their answers and more of it seems unrealistic in the climate we're in to be buying a house. Um, and of course, that's everyone's goal is like to get in real estate. But then we have people saying that the economy's at the worst it's ever been and buying a house is more of a net negative than positive. Um, so I feel like they just we just think it's easier just to get an apartment and just give our money to a landlord and go from there. Also, to add on to, I also think it's impossible to buy a house in California, not somewhere else. Like, mm. say, if you go to Texas, I feel like I could definitely be good out there. You know what I mean? It's like California is just raising everything. And, like, even minimum wage is, what, $16? What is that? You know what I mean? So. Well, I mean, they were fighting for 15 and you telling me it's 16. <laughs> but as I'm saying, though, like, it's like you literally can't do anything like childcare workers. You work at a daycare. You only make $18. What is that? If you work full time, that's 1500 a month to live in an apartment is at least 15 a month, 1500 a month. And that's just if you're lucky. If you know people, you have to get on Section 8, do this, all this other stuff. So I just think. It's impossible in California specifically, at least right now, until the market crashes. But, like, who knows when that is because it's election year also. So it's just going to go up. Yeah, it's not going to crash. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk to the money lady. Let's talk That's to the I money said. lady. We're uh, not going to have the 0809 thing again. Yeah. There's just, yeah, there's too much out there. So in 0809, I, I haven't put a uh, pencil to paper. I just, when my kids send, they'll send me memes and I'll do the math for that particular meme. <laughs> and I say, no, that's not true. Yeah. So, but um, in 2008 and 2009, supposedly we had over 4 million extra um, units available. And now they're saying that we have a deficit of 4 million units available. And I don't, I don't know about that. I do know that, um, I do know that all of this is based on a Bank of America analyst that says, hey, you know, we're short on housing, so we need to build, build, build. And if we build, 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 it's going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But I don't think it's going to get cheaper, even if you let them build, build, build. Mm -hmm. So my opinion is, so in our neighborhood, we had uh, one empty lot that was next to somebody else's house that they're like, okay, well, I don't need it now. I'm going to sell that. So they sold the lot and the lot was, mm, it was expensive, I think. But now the person doesn't want to build one house on that lot. They want to build four units with no parking and park all the cars on the street. So if you live in a neighborhood where the houses have garages and driveways and everybody's parking there, you don't necessarily want somebody to come in and build like a quadplex, you know, between mm. two houses. But I think what's happening is our developers are convincing our politicians that there's some huge shortage. And so now we need to redistrict um, our land and we need different rules. Mm -hmm. So if you buy a lot for $87,000 and it's supposed to be a single family lot, then that's about the right price to pay for that. But if you're buying it and you're putting four families on there and you're getting four rental incomes, then $87,000 is not the right price for that lot, right? Mm -hmm. But because the rules and regulations are in place that say, this is what you can build on this, the developers are asking the city to say, let us build more because there's this big housing shortage. And if we build mm -hmm. more, then everybody's going to be better off. And I don't think that's necessarily true. 
And I think uh, one thing that I've heard, and this is my reason for driving around after the storm, one thing I've heard in our communities is that, you know, you want to build an apartment complex up the street from me that has, you know, six stories, four stories, six, eight, whatever hmm. it is. But my house is getting flooded because the water is running down here. So how are you going to build all that and have all those extra people here and park their cars and do whatever they're doing? So I don't think the answer to a housing shortage, and I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not going to call it a crisis, but I don't even know if the answer to a housing shortage is to change what our neighborhoods look like for the worse. You know what I mean? Like usually if you're building a new neighborhood, you want that to be better than what was in place before, mm -hmm. not worse. So in, I think in Sacramento, I think we just need to look at what that process looks like. How do people, how do developers get these things approved? How does this huge lot behind my house that used to be for stormwater runoff for floods in a place where flooding is our biggest um, crisis that we could possibly have in Sacramento. How is this now fit for hundreds of families to live in? And our neighborhood is still going to stay dry somehow. That same thing is being repeated in every neighborhood all over Sacramento because we're changing, you know, our development policies. Mm. But I haven't seen any, um, like in Pinellas County, flooding was an issue for us, right? Hurricanes and rain. But we did something about it. We took all of the surveys and the elevations of the entire county and mapped the entire county's elevation and then went on to engineer stormwater projects on top of those elevations because that hadn't been updated in over 100 years. So in Sacramento, I haven't heard anything about checking our elevation. All I've heard about is the worst crisis we could possibly have is if a dam breaks, then the whole city floods. Hmm. So as far as public safety goes, that's a huge concern. How is putting more people in a place where you have that going to be okay? And what have they put in place to redirect the water? Mm. Water is the most dangerous and the most life-giving force that we have. So where is this water going to go? Mm. Melissa? Um, you said that earlier all politics are personal and local. And I agree. And we talk about that quite often on here. So I want to know if you can speak to that um, and what that means specifically for you, if for people who may not know what that means. Well, I think, you know, I mean, for me, what it means for me, I, yeah. I have, I, for me, I have just a couple of choices. Things are what they are. Whether I created them or not, they are. It is what it is. That's the saying, right? So I can either accept that, I can change that, or I can leave that. Anything else I do is just causing um, distress and, and unhappiness. So here in my little neighborhood in Woodlake in Sacramento, I'm here. Whatever brought me here, I'm here. So I look around at my community and I say, okay, do I like it? if there's things I don't like about it, I can either change it or I can leave it. So I have decided that I don't really like some things that are going on. And I think that I have the capacity to change them. And so I'm volunteering to change them. And it's really what I can live with as a person. What can I live with? Should, can I be happy in my neighborhood all by myself? Yeah. Can I be happy in my neighborhood 
without these yard signs and this, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Did I pick a battle that maybe I didn't need to pick? Sure. But, but am I going to be happy if I didn't, if I didn't pick that fight, am I going to be happy? Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't live with myself if I'm not improving my community. So this is my, my, my way of doing that. Gotcha. Anaya. So it sounds like right now you're really involved in the community. Um, I just wanted to know, like, if elected, how do you plan to stay this involved while also taking on that big task? So I have some experience. Um, I, I don't think that you need, you know, everybody can get a new job that's a little bigger than they are and they rise to the challenge. In this case, I already have the experience of, you know, reading a budget that consists of over a billion dollars. The first time you do that, it, it it's surprising. You look at it and you're like, wait a minute, how many zeros are on here again? And then you figure out they don't even put all the zeros on the paper uh -huh. that you you deal with shorter numbers, just, you just have to imagine the zeros there. So I think that, I think that there's a lot of parts of the job that I, I already have in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. So I can ask you what your budgeting process is and learn how you do it specifically here. But, you know, there's generally accepted accounting principles that everybody has to follow everywhere. So if you understand those, you're a lot further along down the line. So as far as being involved in the community, I will say, um, as a school board member, I was up for 24 seven, you know, talked to everybody on weekends, did everything. And then by the end, I had to say, you know what, Sunday afternoons are for me. So I would still probably say Sunday afternoons are for me, but I'm more than willing to get out and be in the community. You know, I spent a long time locked up in an apartment. So getting out and being with people is, yeah. is fine. Yeah. And I can still do my homework, um, for my job in the you know, in the regular hours. Nice. Keela. Um, I feel like you kind of answered this, but not in this context. So um, do you think our main streets, so like downtown is successful? And then if not, why? And if it is successful in your opinion, why do you not think that? Which main, which downtown, which main? So like, are you talking about K Street? Yeah, like K Street, like the main street. Oh, oh. <laughs> so um, we, you know, we spent some time uh, downtown and, you know, did a little bit of walkable stuff, but, um, you know, I didn't always feel safe everywhere I went. So I think if, I mean, it's hard for women to feel safe walking in the world just generally, mm -hmm. but to really feel like you are in imminent physical danger is another, is mm -hmm. another thing. So, um, I, I do think that we need to clean up our streets and we need to have people take some personal responsibility for their behavior. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm all fine with giving people as many chances as they need to be successful, but also you're going to have to own your side of the road and you're going to have to do what you need to do to make other people comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think that's not, you know, I think we all deserve a safe, healthy place to live. So I don't, I think that downtown is amazing. And if you go down for street parties and, you, you know, that's fun. It's, it's a lot, but I know that there's a history between the Capitol building and the bridge. That's not, not a great history. I know that there's a history of, you know, where we put our, our freeways in all around Sacramento, and that's not a good history either. So, I mean, we really, in, in a big city, what you have to worry about is healthy, is a healthy environment, 
we need to, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we need to have the air as clean as we can possibly have it and the water as clean as we can possibly have it. And um, all of that leads, I think, to um, financial well-being also. Mm. Adrian? So as district representative, you can't cater to everyone's needs, right? Um, and like you said earlier, people in your specific neighborhood don't really want to concern themselves with people across the street. Mm. So as if you were did elected, I say that? <laughs> well, you kind of okay. said, I did. no, go ahead. I think, am I wrong? <laughs> no, you, you are not wrong. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you're, you're paraphrasing though, because okay, that yeah, wasn't paraphrase. a quote. It's okay. So I'm curious, how, how would you sift through and kind of decide which issues are should be prioritized um in certain in different communities that are like ones primarily white ones more diverse so how do you decide which issues take precedent i think health and safety i think there there has to be a minimum bar of health and safety in every neighborhood and then we can backtrack and figure out what we do next and i think that a lot of times when you look at say certain areas, you're going to have that dichotomy anyway, right? There's people who are doing better than other people or there are people who see themselves as better than other people. And it's just like, I wouldn't want to be in that position to where I had to choose, pick and choose um, because you're always going to be faced with opposition no matter what you choose, right? In terms of trying to represent the best interests of people, people don't always think that you have their best interests at heart. Um, and it could be because of the interactions they've had with people who came before you right? As representatives of that area. Um, It could be because um, they've had run-ins with people on that other side of the street, right? Um, And so I I don't envy your positioning in terms of um, running to represent everybody um, because some people just ain't nice. I'm just say that. (laughs) Some people just ain't all right. (laughs) So I'm not a religious person, but I Mm -hmm. do believe what you do to the least least of your people you do, you know, I think that the way you show kindness to other people speaks a lot about your character. Yes. So I think when you do unkind things, then, you know, it kind of shows who you are right away. So your question, so, so I think I'll just say this. I think there's a lot of nice people in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of nice people in my neighborhood that care about people on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. There's just no historical precedence that shows me that um, we've cared enough. Mm-hmm. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that um, you know I work in my office, and in my office, my all my computer screens are in front of me, but I put it right in front of the window on purpose because I need sunlight. <laughs> and I look out my neighborhood and I've seen kids walk down the street in the middle of the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. I live on a dead end street, both, both ways. This is a dead end, but there's like a dozen or more houses here. And then this street is just me and my neighbor across from each other. And this is a dead end also. So lots of people come in our neighborhood. I think they're walking through our neighborhood, trying to get over towards the highway and they figure out they're at a dead end. Well, these kids, they saw the dead end sign that went this way. So they turned this way. And I swear to you, they were just bored. So on the way by, they tested the handle on the car that was in the in the street. Why are you touching that? 
just because they kids just keep, <laughs> just keep on going that's none yeah. of your business in there just you know mind your business so i mm -hmm. think in in our neighborhood i think there's a lot of um i guess the biggest problem is people cut through our neighborhood and bring problems where there are none mm. and they're like if we just keep the problems out there then we'll be okay but I just believe that you can't just keep the problems out there. You just got to solve the problem. You can't, you know, kids need stuff to do. Kids don't need to be walking in the street, testing car handles at four o'clock in the afternoon. They need something to do. Mm. But that goes back to this idea of, are there jobs available? Do these jobs pay enough money for us to live? Are we, do we have hope? And what I see, I see in my own kids who look just like me is lack of hope. And mm. so as a mom, I try as, and as a former teacher, I'm like, is this just boys being boys? Is this boys saying boy things? Cause I only have boys. I don't have girls. And I say, you know, for me as a girl growing up, there was no, you weren't allowed to lose. You weren't allowed to quit. You weren't allowed to stop. It was hard every day, just waking up and getting to school and putting up with whatever you have to put up with you know, you just knew that you had to put up with it. So I don't know for them is, did they not expect things to be hard? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now things are hard and they don't know how to deal with it. I would feel like I failed if that was the case, but are things so hard that it really is hopeless? And so you make decisions that feel good in the moment instead mm. of yeah. planning for yeah. the future. And I think uh, we're going to go to the young people and let them ask let him answer your question. Is it just hard or are y'all just bored? <laughs> Anybody can answer. Melissa, You is it hard? Are you bored or your peers bored? What's going on? I think that it's very hard just to exist. I think just as people, honestly, and I feel like every age range has their own issues and things that we have to worry about. Um, I feel like I know personally I'm about to graduate from high school, you guys are talking about buying houses. I can't even think about trying to pay for college right now. <laughs> um, like there are so many things that I have to worry about. Um, mm -hmm. just trying to graduate from high school. Um, just trying to figure out how I'm going to move forward in the world. I feel like, um, for other people, I'm extremely driven. I kind of sometimes overwhelm myself so I don't get bored. Um, so I feel like that's kind of a personal issue, but I feel like some people don't have outlets. Um, I f there's so many factors that feed into behavior um, that we find and um, say that are problems. There's a lot of behavior. There's a lot of outside things that feed into that. And we can't even begin to list them all. That would have to be a whole other episode. <laughs> so, I have, so I have another question for you guys. So have you guys heard of uh, universal basic income? Have you heard about no. that concept? Yes. So, you know, AI is coming, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if something made me not hopeful as a young person, AI would probably do that. I think every job I've ever done, AI can probably do. I mean, other than being artistic, but I never made money at that. So <laughs> there's also, uh, there's this guy out of uh, San Francisco. He owns, his name is slipping my mind, but he owns a company called Altimeter Capital. And he's one of, he's, billionaire guy you know but he says that what we need to do is set up a ten thousand dollar investment account for every child born in the united states 
that the only way we're going to combat this idea that people are not going to have income is to start them off with a $10,000 investment account. Something, of course, you're not allowed to touch, you know, until you're older and, you know, until it grows. But I think the reason that he says that is, one, we need to keep in place this capital system of the stock market. Mm. And without uh, without a baseline of investments there, if everybody's just at home on their computer, just trading all day long, that's going to make for a very volatile market where people can lose a lot of money. Mm. So if there's a baseline of these investment accounts, then people will have money to spend as they get older. But I guess my question for you guys is, have you been thinking about AI? Do you do you understand what that might mean for your future? Quinessa's breathing hard. Go ahead. Uh, I'm a designer by tra um, training. Um, so AI is something that we actively have to think about. Um, I'm in a position where my design requires hand my hands. I do fashion design. We do think about it. I think there is a general fear. I don't think, at least from the people I've spoken to, there's not like a real fear of us not being able to find jobs because of AI, because there's always going to need to be someone there doing user experience to make sure that AI is doing its job. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of fear comes from the unknown not necessarily the unknown but I, I like that's with, what it is um but. and at, like politics I, is is fear politics active taking back of rights like the revoking of roe v wade mm. affirmative action like i think that people are young people anyway are more tuned in mm -hmm. to those types of things than like a general concern of um, computers because <laughs> oh. we grew up with that so it's like we grew up learning how to change with computers because we were there as they were being created that's something that we're used to is like the change in technology mm -hmm. you know I'm laughing at you you said you were there when they were created well like, we so, like, <laughs> like no in, I was there when they were in, created <laughs> so like when we were when I was in elementary school uh -huh. is part of our curriculum was learning how to type so like yeah. as we were growing, we were learning how to grow with computers. Okay. So we're used to growing with computers. Mm -hmm. What we're not used to is things that we were told were going to be there, where that hope comes from. That you know, I when those that those hope, those things that give us hope get taken away. Mm -hmm. That's where the fear comes in. Now, okay, I I want you to think about what you just said. What was taken away that requires you to have hope? What are you talking about? So, like, um, if you talk about the $10,000 in an account for for children, the idea of, like, Roe v. Wade being taken away and the, the idea of having to have a child mm -hmm. that maybe I cannot afford mm -hmm. against my will mm -hmm. is very scary. And then for things like, okay, now you have to be able to fund that child mm -hmm. within a certain amount, also very scary. Gotcha. That's probably the best example of all politics are local. That's way better than, you know, Roe v. Wade. Mel Melissa was a fan of that answer, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I can see her face. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. 
Anaya, are you scared about AI? Do, do you think about how that it will impact your future? And I'm so glad that we're talking about this because in a couple of weeks, we have Principal Ra uh, joining us and he is all for AI. He believes that you are not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by a person who is capitalizing off using AI. So we'll be having that conversation. But go ahead, Anaya. Um, I was going to say not really. I don't really think about it daily. I would have to agree with Quinessa. It's more so about politics and things that like rights being affected. But I know being in college, AI is like, don't use chat GPT to write your papers. So I hear that from my professors, but I'm not sitting around eating dinner with my friends. Guys, AI is going to take our jobs. Like it's not really that big of a concern. Maybe I should think about it more. I don't know, but it has never up to this day really been in like on my mind all the time Keila um well I think about it pretty often um why I just think okay like let's say for an example you go to the grocery store right mm -hmm. like there is one person at a check stand and then it's just um self-checkout yep that's so scary to me because it's like you can't even like when you're on the phone too it's like you can't talk to a real person anymore hmm. like it's like Oh, you we have to pay this bill, but okay. What if someone like say they double like they double charge me, right? Oh, you have to talk to press three to do this person, and then it's like okay, you're still talking to a, a computer or recording whatever. So it's go ahead. so I learned from my husband's in IT, and I learned that stuff like that is not AI. Mm -mm. It's like a different kind of like automation, mm -hmm. and so that stuff would be replaced by AI because AI learns. Yeah, but but exactly though. So it would be AI would be able to answer your questions like on the phone, actively more than like what is in place now. But I just think, <laughs> I just think it's more like, okay, say for instance, not everybody is going to graduate college, not everybody is going to go to college. So you know, not saying that people that go are in college, whatever, are at grocery stores, but it's just like, there's, like it's like you can't live. How am I supposed to make money? How am I supposed to do all this stuff? And it's just like, okay, like say COVID, COVID wiped out how many people? Like, is that what they're planning to do? Yeah. You like said what now? 1.5 million. 1. 5 so you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, if we're if we're putting these things into all that, right? It's like, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to people? I'm not, and God forbid, you know, you know, suicide and all that stuff. Like people are really struggling. And it's like, if you get replaced by a job, like that's over. Like what, what else is there? Sir? Go ahead. Um, as far as AI, I haven't really thought about it as far as taking jobs because I know it's not a new thing where like robots taking over and they'll like have our positions in any time. It's not a new concept. Um, but I know as far as AI, the only thing that's really been on my mind as far is a social aspect, uh, meaning we can't tell what's real and what's fake. Um, yeah, we're like we're seeing AI music pop up with mm -hmm. artists with that sound voices. like yeah. deep fakes of celebrities. Um, yeah, in pornos, what? like celebrities' faces <laughs> on nude bodies, right. and they make you think that they're that they, celebrity. Yeah, didn't they do that to Taylor Swift? Yeah. Yes, nudes of her they online. Did. AI nudes. Yeah. I have no idea. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is what it means to be a girl, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Here's just two things I'll say about the AI. So um, historically, I wasn't around when the Ford Model T came out, just so you know. Facts. Um, but um, when Henry Ford developed the, um, what do you call those things where they put the 
the cars the, on the, the belts. The, the, uh, this idea that you know, twelve people assembly each line. One. Assembly line. Okay. That's right. So when right. uh, so when Henry Ford came out with the assembly line, he had all these multi cars coming off. He decided that we needed people, we needed customers to pay for those. So it was Henry Ford that said, we need to make sure that we have a market for these. And in order to have a market for these, we need things like minimum wage, or we need to pay people more money so that they can afford to buy our products. Mm -hmm. And that really was the, the industrial revolution and how things turned. So I think in terms of AI, you're going to have to put that on steroids or like it's a thousand times. And I think the biggest danger with AI, if you think in terms of manual labor, there's still, there's a lot of robots on the assembly line now, but there's mm -hmm. still a lot of jobs for people that have to do things in or like, let's say load up the robotic arms or make sure those trays are full or do those things, but they're menial tasks. They're not something that you need a lot of brain power to do. Mm -hmm. So in the past, in the, recent past we've looked to this middle class idea of uh we can buy a house if you go to college and you become a teacher mm -hmm. you can buy a house if you go to college and you become an accountant that works in a middle management kind of position then you can buy a house so if you look at ai ai is going to take over those jobs in the middle those we call them knowledge jobs the jobs where you have to be a thinker in order to you're not just manual labor and a healthy body in order to move stuff around you don't have to do that kind of labor but you have to think about things and you have to solve problems and you like even what i do like even taxes or trading stocks all of those things are being taken over by algorithms mm -hmm. and these algorithms are causing, again, volatility in the market, but also volatility in our whole social structure, yep. because if you have something and you can trade on top of that, and I don't mean just stocks, but if you have something, knowledge, a skill of, you know, if you have this something you can trade off of, then you're in a good position. But when AI comes to fruition not only is it going to take away a lot of menial task jobs, it's going to take away the thinking jobs. So this idea that we're not going to have a middle class, our middle class is failing right now. So even, even like school principals and vice principals, that used to be when I was young, I looked at my teacher and I thought, if I could just one day be as rich as she is. <laughs> my that's teacher, <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah. And so now like, like that i mean you hear teachers they're working as a bartender on weekends because yeah. they don't have enough money to pay rent let alone buy a house so mm -hmm. i just think that I, but I, why but why don't they have the money let's talk about how they front load at the top how the administrators and the superintendents are paying their cabinet and not paying their teachers to service the students okay. like I just think that we've we've been duped, right? They told us that we go to school and, you know, you're supposed to read and write and arithmetic, right? They wanted to create robots. Now they don't need human robots because they can have actual robots. Mm -hmm. So are we actually teaching our kids to be critical thinkers? Are we actually teaching them that there are some jobs robots can't do, like service jobs, like going out and serving your community? Robots can't do that. Right. And so we have to change the way that we think about things in terms of what is important to us, because those jobs that make a lot of money, yeah, they'll make a lot of money for a time. 
And then if you're not doing anything to give back to your community or to the folks around you, you're you're pretty much going to be useless. Yeah. Because robots can do that. I think you need to learn how to fix robots. <laughs> yeah, that'd be one. And then um, I know Principal Ra, he talks about there's going to be openings for prompt engineers. And when he was, I was like, no, explain that to me. What do you mean prompt engineers? He's like, there's going to have to be people who tell the robots what to do. Yeah. You know, I, I know y'all use Chat GPT. You got to tell Chat GPT what it has to write. Those are called prompts. And so there's going to be other jobs opening. But how do you put yourself in a position to actually secure one of those? That's what we're gonna talk to him about because I'm I'm curious now. Yeah, and how also how do we make sure our voices are heard? So if you if you look at how our country has developed over the past you know almost 200 years now, we've uh, let uh, white men make most of the decisions for everybody. Mm -hmm. and they have largely shaped every. They have largely shaped the society that we live in. All of it, everything that we experience was shaped by them. But now if you think about AI and computer programs, who are the computer programs? Programmers. Who mm -hmm. are they? They're the same people that shape this real world society. Who is shaping virtual reality? And what does that look like? I mean, if you you guys are probably. And who's funding that algorithm? Yeah, you probably to do played that? these online huh? games and they're. To do that. Yeah, you better figure it out because you're gonna be affected by but, it. But that's what I'm saying, though. Like as a whole, like that's crazy. That's like, part of politics, though. So the people that are that are running things are still running things. Yeah, that's what it is. It's that's just it. evolving into a new shape. I think I'm not a Gates. I'm not a Bill Gates fan for sure. Um, but Melinda, formerly Gates, she does a lot of work with um, females and technology. She was one. But if you look at how did she become successful, she married a guy in technology, right? So shout out to Melinda. <laughs> yeah. So, but now she is she is trying to um, reshape her life, like the life that she lived. She at some point said, "Wait a minute, why did I give up all that in order to get this?" So you know you have to you have to be involved in things, whether it's politics, because all politics is local and personal, right? You have to be involved in your community, be involved in politics, be involved in in your own life plan. And how is that going to work out for you? Like decisions you make today are they're just snowballs. And if that decision that you make today, the same thing I tell my kids, this you want to take today off. OK, but tomorrow you have to build your snowball twice as big as you did today because you don't have anything to roll down the hill. Mm -hmm. So this idea that, you know. I don't know. I think you just have to show up every day and do your best. And some days your best is not great, but you have to show up and do something. Right. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm doing something. I don't know if it's going to work out, but maybe. But at least you're here and you oh, tried it. I and did. and that's half the battle showing up and, yeah. and putting yourself out there for people to even have an opinion of what they think of you and whether they think that you're the right person to represent them. I think that that's huge. Um, so we want to thank you for joining us because we are out of time. Um, <laughs> but we want to thank you for joining us and sharing your story with us and answering our questions. We always love when we can interact with folks. So thank you very much. Um, if you did not get your questions in this week, that's 
perfectly fine. You have another couple of opportunities. Next week, we are joined by two more candidates. I believe another person running for District 2 and someone running for the Sac County Ed Office of Education School Board. Um, and so I look forward to those conversations. Um, we have a lot going on here at BYLP. If you are looking to come and just be in community to, with us, we have our minis meeting on Saturday. Um, our babies are coming through. Um, we have our annual paint blank his the Black History Month paint and sip coming up on the 24th and our third annual open house is popping off on the 29th of February. Make sure you're in the building. And I believe our young adults are meeting again on the 21st. If you missed that first meeting, you surely missed out. We had a great time and we want you to make sure that you're with us next time. So without, we're going to hit you guys with the peace sign. We will see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel right here on Black versus the Board of Education. I do not know what's up with that 70s groove, but we're going to keep it. <laughs> peace out. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>